The Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy, more ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Woohoo! Mac Brown garbled a cry of victory, his bald head bobbing in and out of the spray in the showers. I love to stick it to the law! He licked his lips, snorted the air and water mixture in deeply. It's like fresh bread. Vorist, purple, was always looking for fresh pain. I like both of them there at the end. It's like having an old girlfriend and a new girlfriend at the same time. He threw a wet towel over the plastic of the shower enclosure. It smacked on the wall beside stones. Stones didn't flinch. Stones, the way you gave that parting gift to the actress? <laughs> stones peeled the yellow away from around his lips, and with a sly tone, felt like a dozen clowns getting into a compact car. He examined his lower appendage, holding it like a jeweler cups a precious gem. I think I'm chafed. Pussy, feely, green, mocked him from across the room. Voris corrected. Ass. It was like a high school filled with felons. Mac ran through the divided areas with a huge bottle of hair conditioner. I'm a warthog! I'm a warthog! He yelled, spraying the white creamy fluid across Voris, Feely, Stones, and Sean. Sean tried to grab the hair between Mac's shoulder blades to slow him down. Mac squirmed away. But all too soon, he found out why Sean wanted to slow him down. The stream of conditioner splashed spastically off the walls as he turned, and it landed on something that was completely untiled. A blue body vinyl took a splash across the chest, and Mac was face to face with their scowling leader, Blade. I'm sorry, I I was a warthog, he pleaded. Blade brought his fists together, and Mac stood still waiting for his punishment with closed eyes. Blade wiped the conditioner off his chest with a finger, then shoved it into Mac's mouth, scrubbing the back teeth. A smile broke across Blade's mouth, like a jagged path to hell. Take it back, warthog. Blade was in a good mood. Feely let out a high-pitched laugh. Everyone joined. Blade put his arm around Mac, who playfully licked his finger. What the fuck were you talking about? A warthog comes in volume. 500 milliliters, Mac started. Stones cut in. Isn't that a pig? Mac continued. A pig who gets almost no action as he stores it up. Half a liter each time he blows his wad. Blade held up a bottle of conditioner. Half a liter. He squeezed the remaining contents on the floor. If any of you could do that, I'd get rid of the rest. Mac said, I'm going to figure out the TV receiver problem today. I'll have it fixed like that. Blade raised his voice for everyone to hear. This guy fixes things. Like that. And I like that. He's a good guy. Cheers rang around the hall. Blade put up one finger to silence them. And if he shows up on time, I don't feel much at all like killing him. Voris chimed in. We do. Blade continued. One more. One last whore. And we're coming up on our reward. The room became quiet. They knew what came next. We don't live like kings. We live the life that allows us to keep living the life. 
People think that they're better than us. I've never met anyone better than us. Out in the world, there's a tidal wave of sperm swimming free because of the work you did in the last hour. The FBI meets actress Angle drew our first million live, and it was fucking good. Our subscribers are talking about it all over the net. It's going to make international headlines. Blade strode around the room. We are an entertainment network and an international incident. Blade's voice dropped with sinister finality. Killing the actress might be the best marketing we could possibly do. Sean spoke up. But she made ransom. It wasn't decency that made the room reluctant to spill her blood. We should be consistent, Feely agreed. Blade snapped his head towards the dissenting opinion with a brooding conflict. He looked like he wanted to kill them and thank them at the same time. We writers have a code, don't we? A grumble of laughter. Secret ballot. He held up five pieces of paper and distributed them among the men. Dump the bitch. Breathing or body? Feely asked. Why don't you vote? Blade said in an even tone. All the same to me. Chapter 18. Curled Queen. Tracy pressed herself further into the corner, hearing the outside door open. It always took ages from the first sound until Blue would open the inner door. The second stretched her nerves until pitched like wires strung to the far keys of a piano. How long would it take this time? A full minute later, she heard the key go into the lock. Minutes more, and the lock turned. The hesitation must mean something. Blue wasn't looking forward to this errand. It was over for her. She knew it. Blue had bits of paper in his hands. He thumbed through them like a dealer churns a stack of cards. I told you it would come to a vote if you didn't make it. Her eyes filled up with tears. Have you counted them? No. Her head snapped up, clearly surprised. He explained, I thought it was better to do it in front of you. He glanced down at his hands. Tracy's mouth trembled as she spoke. I did really good today, right? They must have noticed. Blue flipped the ballots onto the floor, read them like tea leaves. It was an elaborate act, a poker bluff that invited speculation and dread. With her life on the line, Tracy showed great restraint waiting moments before blurting out, Good news? Yes, I don't really read them. I just do what I want to do, he said, arms spread wide and welcoming. He took an outward countenance of a preacher, and it seemed fitting when Tracy uttered, Thank God. Tracy let out a sigh of relief. A dark transition overtook every aspect of the man she knew as Blue. His tone of voice dropped off into a black abyss. Malice somehow built from humble, playful beginnings. Let's not bring him into it yet. It feels like you deserve punishment after what you did today. Look at your soiled, sinful body and your newly sinful mind. His steps towards her became heavy and imposing. Unseen to Tracy, a knife barely three inches long dropped into his hand, covered by his palm. Stand in the shower, please. What? I did what you said. Her voice was cut off. She chirped in fear as he swooped in and tucked the blade under her throat. With a brisk step, he led her to the shower. A fierce tango, bodies locked in a strained embrace, 
This was the moment that he lived for, the uncertainty, the balance of life and death. Her gasps for air fed a fire in his eyes, a savage light. Tracy looked up into them. She had almost always counted Blue as a friend, and now everything, even the shape of the room and the colors, changed in her eyes. Trust gasped, dying, and betrayed on the edge of a surge of panic and recognition. This was Blade's foreplay. Fear shook her body in waves. Her skin wrapped around useless muscles. Messages came from a useless brain. Impossible was the only way to describe the kind of futility and helplessness that Blue was able to bring to bear in those last moments for his victims. He breached the walls of all of their senses and pulled their insides out. Safe to say, the best way to describe the final ordeal was in the words of one of the women who made it through their final meeting with him. The transcript hung in Legacy's office, the last moments of a two-hour interrogation, after which the girl had said nothing. It made me forget the torture. All I can remember are those moments with him. Tracy tottered on the edge of the silver blade. Red blood trickled from a superficial wound, and she would never again see the world through those crystal blue eyes. Chapter 9. Futility Bay Two days later, Wagner knew almost everything there was to know about the male erection. She'd spoken to over a hundred specialists in EDD and combed every record searching for a biker who couldn't match rubber to the road. Yes, she'd picked up some bad biker lingo, too. She'd worked the angles from both sides, matching the biker groups to the specific deficiency in the lead member and matching patients of thousands of doctors to a single rider. It wasn't realistic to find that one person who matched Legacy's description, especially in such a tight-lipped community. But it was better than doing what he did, which was just sitting there and staring. The music was getting to her. It had been a marathon of some instrument invented in the 70s, presumably to torture poor souls that had never learned to dress properly. The player had been banging upon a clutch of strings with a mallet or perhaps his head for 15 hours. Wagner cursed everything in her wicked life that had brought her to this point. Legacy had spoken in small packets since the initiation. He watched it once. That was all he needed. He told Wagner to do the same. Of course, she'd watched it over and over every night when she went home. The following installments, five in all, were stacked on top of her VCR at a hotel. Wagner put down the phone with a little more force than usual after another fruitless call. Legacy could see her make a mental note not to lose control like that again. Legacy continued to stare. Wagner flung the phone across his line of sight, and it crashed into the wall. One more resolution broken. Her scowl told him that she didn't give a damn if it got his attention. Of course, it was moments like this when Legacy took notice and had something helpful to say. You're doing your job all wrong, you know? He said as flat as the world before Galileo. What? She said, although she'd heard him clearly, she needed a heavier phone. You're acting without thought. Use your mind. Narrow down all of these actions until all you have to do is call one person. Instead, you call the phone book and get nothing. You weren't the second best in your class at the academy because you used the phone book second best, he continued. 
Sit and think until you have just one number to call to get your result. You're asking me to sit around doing nothing. Her tone only slightly resembled a question. Flinging the telephone was the most sensible thing you've done in days. Has your telemarketing barrage gotten you any closer to finding Blue? He shrugged his shoulders. I know you're anxious to interview Tracy. Tracy is dead. It's been two days. Don't act like you don't know. Her emotions spilled out and her eyes looked suddenly weary. Don't be ridiculous. She's fine. Blue is just giving us some time to chew on. He wants us caught off guard when she shows up. It's not a guess. It's a fact. And she's fine. He paused, watching the upswing in Wagner. She lit up almost instantly. He found a distracted part of his brain, thinking about how he could produce the same effect again so he could watch her react. Legacy had no more surprising good news, so he had to settle for showing off. The news will break later today. She'll be home tonight. If I'm wrong, I'll start senselessly calling hospitals, asking if they have any biker patients capable of all kinds of deviant felonies, but also smart enough to cover all of their tracks, with the exception of a random FBI call picking a single grain out of a sandstorm. Legacy could barely stand the thought of producing any such conversation on the phone, but he knew it wouldn't be necessary. Tracy was alive. The drop-off would tell more about the vinyl men's location than they wanted. Legacy leaned over the papers on his desk, and the strangest thing happened. He heard Wagner approach, and she retrieved her broken phone. That was all quite natural, but on the way back to her desk, she paused near his chair. He felt a hand on his shoulder. The warmth of her grip circulated all the way through his body in a gratifying manner that disturbed him deeply. He liked her. He was a bit fascinated by her irrational methods and her need to present a perfect appearance. But she intruded on his life, and nothing in that category had pressed past his rigid defenses in years. Legacy thought about his cold shoulder, the other one, and realized that the idiom, turning a cold shoulder, was really more to do with caring than indifference. The only reason one turns a cold shoulder is if the other holds warmth. Blue killed Jamie so everyone presumed she did something that angered or upset him. Legacy was beginning to believe the opposite, that she might have been the one he cared for most. It was four in the afternoon when the information broke, rattling through the rafters and settling into the basement. A young man from Community Affairs, later they'd find out his name was Brent, came into the office with a memo. He had a no-nonsense style that appealed to Legacy. Half the agency has hit the ground in North Dakota. Body? Wagner fixed her gaze on Brent's perfectly groomed hairline, not wanting to read his expression. With jet black hair swept back meticulously, it resembled a shoreline finding a nautical prow-like peak in the center of his brow. Wagner had the most remarkable way of picking out a person's defining characteristic in the moment. Legacy followed her eyes and agreed. This guy was a straight shooter. Arrow right through the forehead. Breathing. Legacy cast a sidelong glance at Wagner, who pretended not to notice how masterful he was at both in practice and theory. Brent continued, I took the liberty of getting you two tickets on the shuttle flight tonight. There's nothing sooner, she said, looking at the time. Uh, sooner would be now, he observed. You're up against the clock making that flight. There's a car, Legacy objected. They need to bring her here. Wagner replied, they're not going to do that. Legacy wasn't budging. 
Well, that's what they have to do. Wagner paused in the middle of what Legacy guessed to be a frantic pre-travel gathering ritual. The first six hours are the ones that shape the testimony and consequently the entire information chain elicited from a victim. You said it. There was a certain satisfaction in quoting Legacy back to himself. That is why she should be on a plane now. Wagner slipped her coat on. Nothing like an abrupt change of venue in the company of federal agents to put the mind at ease. Pack up, Legacy. I can't go. Legacy shifted in his seat uncomfortably. He knew that he wasn't going to get his way. I shouldn't have to. Arrangements should have been made. You should have made some useless calls. The comment was lost on Brent, who completed an awkward triangle between them. Brent backed out of the room, his pace slow, like he was holding himself hostage until he got to the door, just for his own safety. I'll look into bringing the entire crime scene here, but on the off chance the requisition does not go through, you have 30 minutes to make your plane. Legacy liked him even better. He gathered that the smart-ass tone was the way that Brent projected confidence within a formal structure of his position. An immature but respectable way of expressing command as a young agent. Most of the agents he knew expressed confidence at the wrong time, through jargon and superior FBI speak. Brent told Legacy that he was not going to get his way, and still left him with a smile. Legacy backed away from his position, like a chess master, conceding one piece at a time until the final gambit, still knowing he's beaten. They probably want 24 hours to process the scene. Legacy dug a hand into his pocket. You have been waiting for a fresh witness, Legacy. You can see these maniacs through her eyes, and I'm telling you, it could... Legacy pulled out a coin and set it spinning on the desk as Wagner pulled out her most forceful and convincing tone. It could swing the whole case. Legacy watched the coin spin. I, I don't see that. Blue's refined his drop technique. She's been drugged for the last two days. Wagner slapped the coin down. So a little time has passed. You're going to be my eyes and ears up there. Keep a line of communication open. All I want to hear is that you're getting on that plane with me. We won't be this close again until we collar them. They need to draw blood and do blood oxygen test. There's only the slightest chance that Wagner's body shook in anger. Legacy could tell that she missed a lot of what he said in the next minute. Finally, Legacy forced the issue. Listen, Agent. Legacy's hand came slamming down on the desk. While everyone's chasing around the drop spot, you hit the town. I think she spent a night there, maybe even longer. Why? Wagner asked. Legacy was already withdrawing back into himself. He had no energy for explaining his rationale. Do the blood test. Drag the biker flea bags for an unresponsive, drunk companion and keep me up to date. Wagner knew there was one topic that would tweak him. Is there anything you want me to ask her? That was the question that hurt. Legacy knew that nobody would drill into her experience the way he could. He knew that he could bring it all back to the surface and sift through her emotions, tear into them until the concrete foundation of reality upon which they were built was exposed. He could know everything that she knew in five hours. But looking into the distance at the facts he'd assembled on Blue... He doubted that much, if any, of the raw knowledge would lead him anywhere other than looping a victim back through their own pain. 
Blue had a sick specialty, and Legacy wouldn't put it past him to plant horrors in the background of a victim's memory, just so the torture continued out of captivity. The other victims had long since closed their doors to these paths, and he knew that if he opened them, if he put Tracy back into that place, it would also shed light on the weapon that shredded her soul, cutting her no less than Blue's knife had pressed into her neck. Wagner left in a huff as he let his mind slip around the situation like fading sunlight along a wall. It hardly mattered anyway. He couldn't leave town. It just wasn't an option. Wagner threw open the door to the Black Lincoln Town Car. Why the hell did the agency always use Black Lincoln Town Cars? They certainly didn't qualify as unobtrusive. Everyone knew the feds were packed into every Black Lincoln Town Car on the road. She could tell she was struggling with something outside of the parameters of the case. And she couldn't care less. The case wasn't about them. It was about the life of a girl who lived in Wagner's dormitory. And if it didn't stop... It would be about a girl who lived on a different street, somewhere in another town. She didn't have an ounce of respect for legacy in that moment. Why am I here? She thought as the brightly lit drab stone buildings of Civil War era construction swept past the tinted windows. For all of her anger, she was aware that the act of leaving the office, his office, actually lifted a weight off of her. She pulled out her cell phone and made a call. Federal Bureau of Investigation, Alexandria office. The car swung onto the interstate highway. This was the fork in the road where Wagner's loyalty divided. Chief Bailey, please. Chapter 20. Darcy. Darcy stood in front of the two-for-one snack rack at the pump-and-go, debating what to steal. She let her mind create a fantasy around the cookies that cost 50 cents more than the other cookies which cost 50 cents less. There must be something special that comes with the price tag, something that would fulfill her more, give her 50 cents more inner worth than she had before consuming them. She definitely wasn't a bargain shoplifter, and a quick grab and tuck had the package inside her oversized front sweatshirt pocket. Bulky Utah fashion was the best for shoplifting. They should call it the shoplifting state, she thought. A crafty smile passed her lips. For a moment, the crime was her life, and it was going well. She looked up at the clerk, an older lady with thick-rimmed glasses and hair that stood on end. Whatever beauty product she used should be recalled. Something on the fuzzy black-and-white TV above her shoulder caught Darcy's attention. A girl was being led through a crowd of reporters, blankets wrapped around her body, she babbled in a language incoherent to almost all the listeners, save Darcy. It was blue, and his eyes, blue eyes, bleeding on the tile. There was sex. Pain is blue, sky blue. Her sluggish steps through the crowd of reporters were also familiar to Darcy, except in her memory, there were no crowds and no blankets. Darcy read the name below the video image, but the letters were all out of place, all wrong. Darcy knew something about the girl that no one else did. Tracy didn't notice the crowds, and she couldn't feel the blankets. The chill that froze her mind and body couldn't be seen or warmed from the outside. That girl, that girl was me. She approached the cashier, leaning over the counter, getting as close as she could to the screen. It should say Darcy. 
It was at that moment that the broadcast cut to commercial, and it was like the strings of a puppet were cut. Darcy staggered backwards. A trained eye would have seen the anguish and loss in her stare. An expert might have diagnosed the situation as significant and delicate. The clerk was not a trained eye. "'What have you been drinking?' Darcy dug into her stuffed pockets and offered up a bribe. "'I'll give you back these cookies if you just let me use the phone. I need to call the FBI.' The cry for help was met with the unending human compassion of a convenience store clerk. Actually, compassion overstates the sentiment. Tough love, without the love. Put those on the counter, and if I see you in here again, I'll call the cops. They might have the number for the FBI. There were at least two people in the world that could have entered the shop that would have made the standoff between Darcy and the clerk even worse. And in one of life's shit cannon moments, they happened to walk through the door at that time. Darren and Bone Pike were brothers, stoners, and founders of the Ski Bikini Appreciation Society of Greater Utah. Their father, a former federal prosecutor, was a partner in the most prosperous firm in the state. They looked like standard-issue youth culture shitheads, but in reality, they were a caricature drawn in green ink, dripping money. Bone burst through the door holding his breath. The game was called Convenience Store Gauntlet. He was going to try to keep it held until he bought four different items from four different rows in the store. It was a test of skill and speed, and it was the fresh brainchild of Darren who expected his brother to yak before making it to the counter. The fantastic ransacking of the shelves broke the silent standoff between the clerk and Darcy. Whatever might have been said now was buried. In the time it took for Bone to hit the counter with four items and unload a sustained rancid burp fueled by a gush of air leaving his lungs, Darcy found her legs and began to back her way out the door. That, that was awesome, dude. Whoa. Darcy bumped into him. She turned and was face to face with a nervous, pale shale pair of gray eyes. Darren flipped his long stringy hair out of his face and some of it tangled with hers. It was like their hair had an idea that neither of them had the time to follow up on. She was losing her balance, and Darren reached out an arm to steady her. Sorry, babe. Darcy snarled. Get off of me. She shrugged off his hand. A package of cookies fell out of her front pocket. The clerk trumpeted behind them. She's stealing! Stop her! He knelt down and picked up the broken cookie. It might have been her skewed impression but he seemed impressed that she was stealing the expensive ones. Darren made no move to restrain Darcy. Rather, he gave her a nod of appreciation and returned the cookie to her pocket. A wink said that finding out she was a thief was cool. Darcy said, Pay for these and I'll find a way to pay you back. I'm around. She didn't wait for an answer, pushing her way past him out into the cold. Darren nodded at his brother, who rocked back and forth, a little unsteady from the oxygen-deprived head rush. Pay the lady. Bone pulled out a stack of $20 bills from his crotch pack and dropped a couple on top of his purchase. A bottle of Drano, a candy bar, toilet paper, and a package of replacement windshield wipers. He then proceeded to vomit on the whole stack. Needless to say, there was no drain to fix or car needing wipers. Life was a pointless game for the brothers, and there were no rules. Bone staggered towards the door. 
Darren watched Darcy through the yellowing, weathered plastic sheets that made up the nearby bus stop enclosure. A bus pulled up, and she waved it on. He let a shiver of the outside world into his reality for just a moment. It was as close to maturity as he allowed. A craggy voice screeched over his shoulder. That little snow angel's a tramp, a bona fide tramp. She made fun of that poor abducted girl on TV. How? Bone was always looking for a laugh. She wanted to make a prank call to the FBI and tell them that she was the same abducted girl too, or some damn nonsense. Bone remembered his change and walked back to the counter. You don't get to keep this, and I don't even know what else she had in her pockets. Bone shrugged. He was pretty certain that Darren had loaded his pockets with candy. He flipped the ear flaps on his hat down and trudged towards the door. Darren held the door open. Before he passed, he lunged into Darren's body, bumping him into a display of oil cans outside the door. The cans scattered. Snow flew up in a cloud, and when it settled, the boys stood staring back into the store. They adopted a pose of great enthusiasm as they held stolen candy and flipped off the clerk. Wagner The International Airport in Bismarck was officially closed when the converted military transport 707 touched down. Wagner looked out the window. There was no evidence of earth beneath her other than the sound of engines struggling to slow and stabilize the plane at the same time. This was the whiteout that they'd promised when she took off. There couldn't be worse conditions for gathering physical evidence, and she doubted it was a coincidence. She gathered her carry-on and made it through the concourse, all the while cursing the person who had sent her. At least it couldn't get much worse. She stepped out into the frigid night. A black town car was waiting for her at the curb, and the distance almost killed her. Before she even crossed the threshold, a chill went through Wagner's body like nothing she'd felt before in her life. She had been warned that her coat wasn't raided for the Dakotas, where the wind splashes the skin like ice water. Stepping out of the automatic door into the night, she understood the warning in a more personal way. The first place where the swirling wind struck was crawling up her open sleeves of her overcoat. Like a submarine with the hull breached, it flooded her arms. Before she could wrap her arms tightly around herself, the vortex of air snuck into every opening in her wardrobe. The biggest insult came when, involuntarily, she drew a deep breath in reaction to the shock. The wind had won. It engulfed her body from inside out. She couldn't talk when she shut the door to the car behind her. The agent behind the wheel asked, That's your coat? She couldn't answer. I'm supposed to take you to the station. She still couldn't answer. And instead, her head bobbed in an approximation of a nod. The greeting that nature offered Wagner turned out to be one of the nicest parts of the trip. She would have gladly taken a second plunge into the elements hours later to avoid the crippling emotional chill playing out in the smoky interrogation room in the local sheriff's office. The rural office hadn't seen action like this since, well, never. By the time Wagner passed the corridors filled with stern hunter's eyes and purposeful strides, the locals had given complete control over to the feds. There were no familiar faces, although the officers calling the shots on the ground were waiting for her arrival. She knew her special treatment would ruffle her fellow agents. Wilkes had arranged a private audience for her with the victim. Tracy drew the smoke of a glowing cigarette into the bottom of her lungs as she held a steaming mug between her cupped hands. Her words were infused with a distant emptiness. 
she seemed more witness than victim. The story, however, was very personal. I tried to keep some physical evidence under my fingernails, in my mouth, but Blue knew. He knew everything. If you'd allow us to swab, even after a couple of days, Wagner leaned in. Tracy's eyes rose from the bottom of the cup. Don't stick me. Don't stick anything in me. Not in my nails, not in my veins. I'm not fucking evidence. You don't know what traces, Wagner replied bluntly. I know. She half stood, leaning out over the table toward Wagner. And I'll tell you how I know. Blue filled my mouth with rubbing alcohol and bleach, and then told me that if I swallowed, I'd go blind and crazy. My gums burnt for hours, but I didn't notice because he put his knife to my throat and told me that all of the blood in a human body could drain in under a minute. Her expression turned mocking. I had other things on my mind. Wagner controlled her urge to cut in. She knew that Tracy needed to be in charge, and even though it went against every impulse that Wagner had, she sat in silence and waited for Tracy to come back to her. Do you know what it's like to be worthless? Down in your soul to feel like garbage. I can't tell you a single thing about the men who abducted me. I have no idea how long I traveled to get here, and the only part of the experience I have is up here. She pointed to her head. And I don't trust the words that my mind is sending to my lips. I, I don't know if I could help you if I could. I don't know who I am. He turned me inside out. She looked away, a flash of horror in her eyes. I might even be him. Wagner reached across the table. Tracy flinched, but Wagner reached past her arm and took a cigarette out of the pack on the corner of the table. A deputy stepped forward with a lighter, then stepped back beside a sign that said, No drinking, eating, or smoking. Wagner expelled the words efficiently as she exhaled. Your blood might tell us something about where you were. You don't have to trust anybody, and we don't have to trust you. It was clinical and cut straight to the point. Tracy's mouth bent up into a poison smile. Tracy spoke, looking over Wagner's shoulders into the darkness. The tone was like she was talking to Blue, daring him to step from the shadows of the interrogation room. He made me into this, and the fucking burning truth is that only he understands me now. She crushed out her cigarette, laid her arm on the table. Take your blood. I have nothing more to say. Wagner turned around in frustration, looking back at where Tracy had been staring, and at that moment, she saw some of her own demons catching up with her. From her angle, she could see through the darkness to the glass door of the hallway leading to the entry. Agent Wilkes entered the lobby. Even from fifty yards, he bore the unmistakable stride of someone who was pissed off. Reporting to him was going to be her own bloodletting experience. Wagner and Wilkes sat in the break room. A bank of vending machines lit Wagner's face and gave Wilkes a fluorescent outline. There was nothing left to eat, so Wagner drank instant coffee with extra cream. A lipstick-stained cigarette butt sat in the ashtray between the agents. It had been taken right down to the filter before becoming an object of art that reminded Wagner how long they'd been speaking. The pleasantries were long gone. Impatient voices spoke over the ashes. What in the hell is more important than here? 
Wilkes roared. Wagner stumbled into a sentence that sounded vaguely Samoan. I... no... no... Her voice caught in her throat somewhere between an excuse and condemnation. Wilkes wasn't listening. There is no satisfactory answer. There's no way I can hold my head up after this investigation is over, win or lose. But we cannot lose. Are you getting this? Wagner nodded. If the one unique strategy that I bring to the table... He paused, trying again for emphasis. If the one man who I stake energy, resources, and confidence in turns out to be a waste, then we lose. I won't even have the weight to fall on my own sword, agent. And I'm being literal. So when you tell me that you're done with the only witness we have and are going out into the field after only 30 minutes, I ask you, where the hell is more important than here? Wilkes didn't wait for an answer. He pulled a cell phone from his pocket and dialed a number. It was 2 a.m. in Virginia when the phone rang.